I have really been stirring with something that actually Matt Hosier uh, touched at the end of his first uh, message. I didn't know, I hadn't heard Matt's message, but the way that it landed in love was so powerful. And I think that was what really kind of moved me, arrested me. I think that's what some of the conversation around the table was. I think that has everything to do with what we're doing here is just loving one another. I mean, how much are we just soaking up the love (laughs) that we have for one another? Isn't that incredible? And it's actually just entirely what Jesus talked about. And and actually, in, in John 13, 35, he said this, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I mean, it's so simple. It's one we all know but it is so profound, it's so powerful, it's so potent. And it says, all people, all people will know that you are my disciples. And what's interesting is to me that that means all people, all people who are not his disciples, right? But also those who are his disciples, because it's important, right, for people who do not follow Jesus to recognize us as distinct. But it's also important for people who do follow Jesus to actually be able to identify us, right? Like, how will we know? Well, Jesus is telling us right here, it's by your love for one another. So whether it's believers or non-believers, we are identified by our love. And, and us believers, we need to locate one another, don't we? We need, to, we need to band together, support one another, and be able to find one another in a landscape where many people actually claim to be many things. And people will even be they claim to be his disciples, but actually not exhibit this one most identifying characteristic. They may even exhibit other seemingly really important characteristics, but not this one, which is the one that Jesus says, this is how you will know. But what does that look like? Like, what, what is the simplest definition of love, or how can we sort of capture it in its most essential form in order to live it. Because if this is so important for us to be known by, like for us to look this way, if this is like the pinnacle of his teaching in so many ways, like how do we do that? And he helps us. In John 15, 13, he says, well, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. So that's what love looks like, giving up our lives for our friends. But, you know, I think when Jesus said friends, we, we like, we kind of tend to think of our BFF, don't we? Like, yeah, it is so good to like help out your friends. And, and I would find it easy to lay down my life for Brian Hart. I mean, for those of you who know him, you just know that he's an upstanding guy. And, and I consider him one of my closest friends. I know, isn't that sweet? <laughs> It's funny, when you start talking about love, it gets like sappy really quickly. I don't think Jesus was talking about a sappy love. He was talking about, but, but it's true. I could see myself laying down my life for Brian Hart. Now, Ryan Marshall is a different story. <laughs> you just gotta work with I'm sorry, I couldn't resist throwing a jab at Ryan Marshall. You know I love you. We're actually staying with them. At least we were until just now. (laughs) But this is not actually how Jesus saw a friend. 
He, he, didn't, he did not have the same narrow band of friends. And, and so actually, the, the people he would lay his life down for, like he reveled in a very diverse and different friend group than the things that we automatically sort of leap to. And how do we know that? Well, it's actually in Luke 7. He's actually talking about the criticism of him, which was the son of man has come eating and drinking. And you say, look at him, glutton and drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. They were criticizing him and he just owned it. He was a friend, not of just the people that were so wonderful to him. I mean, this story actually in Luke 7, that moment is followed by the story of the woman who poured out the perfume on his feet, a sinner, a prostitute that he called friend. So like he had a different definition. He would later lay his life down for her and every other terrible sinner who would put their faith in him because these are the people that Jesus considered friends. These are the people about whom he said, the greatest form of love you can have is to lay your life down for one of them. Those were his friends. That is so challenging, isn't it? I mean, I'm inclined to lay my life down for people I really like, even Ryan Marshall. And, and, and the people that are good to me and who agree with me and who serve me, like I could throw those people a bone. Yeah, sure. But love, as Jesus describes it, it's so much more than our trite, kind of sappy notions of selfish affection that we might have for those who treat us well. And so I'm just loving this opportunity to celebrate love because real love is mind-blowing. Like real love is countercultural. It's actually counterintuitive. It's the greatest aim we can have, but but it it is the thing that can really cost us if we do it right. And I feel like that's what we need a little bit of a a reminder because I mean, are are you up for that kind of love? The one that Jesus says, that's what distinguishes us? Like that that's what we'll be, be known by because it's actually in that costly kind of love that we're fully liberated into following Jesus wherever he wants us to go. In that love, we find life. Matthew 16, 25. He says, forever who would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This is a variation on the theme. Lay down your life, die for love, and you will become fully alive. I mean, we just, I, I, just, I just think we need this reminder in this day and age. But then we also have to say, well, what, what, what does love look like? I mean, what, how can the Bible just keep helping us with what love looks like? And, and actually, look no further than the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. I mean, the sad thing is it's become kind of a trite, like, wedding chapter reading that people read whether they believe in Jesus or not, right? It's, it's something that's been crocheted on a pillow. But actually, it is incredibly profound in terms of really identifying what this love is. So in the first verse, he says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I just love that because, again, it's ranking stuff. 
It's putting love here. And what is it putting it above? Well, if I, even, I can be an amazing communicator and say all of the most poignant, beautiful, and powerful things. But if I don't lay down my life for others, even the most undeserving of people, I'm just making noise. Like it's just, it's just pointless. And then actually in verse two, it says, and, and this is amazing. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, like he's ranking it above all those things. He says, so as to move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. I am nothing? Really, if you have all faith, you are nothing? If you don't have love? I think this is the one that really gets us Christians, like especially like the charismatic ones. I mean, I am like dyed in the wool to the bone charismatic. I love the spiritual gifts as a witness of who God is in all of his power. And I think we can sometimes think that like this is the greatest aim of following Jesus to have miraculous powers and profound revelation and, and such that people sort of marvel at the power and extraordinary grasp of the mysteries of God that we have. Like, isn't that true? We can tell people we've never met the intimate details of their lives. I love that. I love that. I've seen that over and over. I trust that that was even happening here. Like, words of knowledge are coming out. Or that actually we can raise people from the dead or move mountains, as he says, that we can do. But what's interesting is, like, the Corinthians were kind of obsessed with this stuff. This 1 Corinthians 13 comes sandwiched in between 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14, all about the gifts. And I just love how he's on a roll, Paul talking about how to administer these things and how to do these things, and these gifts are all great. But pause, even if you have all of these things and you have not love, it's useless. There's no point in it whatsoever. So echoing the words of Jesus, it's just all about Love. Then here Paul goes after another misconception. This is another amazing, it's mind-blowing. He says, if you think it's about extreme generosity and even dying a terrible death, if you think those are the most virtuous, purest expressions of our Christian faith, you've got it wrong. Verse three, for if I give all away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. He says you can be a, a philanthropist or a martyr, and it doesn't mean anything if you don't have love. Those things will literally buy you nothing in God's eyes if you have not love. But aren't, aren't those things love? Like, surely, if I give everything away, isn't that an extreme form of love? Evidently not. The two can be completely separate. Oof, that's, that's like sobering. It really is, and it makes me want to go, okay, then what is it? Like, what really is love? What Paul is saying, that you can do those very things and still be absent of love. Because a vain expression of what we think is holy is actually absolutely useless in God's kingdom. So what is it? What is this love that is the pinnacle of Jesus? if not those wonderful things. I mean, you're saying the most powerful spiritual expressions 
are not are proclaiming the words of angels or prophetic and miraculous powers. It's not vast knowledge and revelation of mysteries or even extraordinary faith. It's not generosity or some glorious death. Like, what is it? And so he goes on to, to tell us that it is a love that looks like this. And I seem to have not put this actual uh, verse four in there, but you know it. You could probably recite it with me. <laughs> love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. What a sublime few verses in this chapter. Just incredible. Those expressions of who Jesus is obliterates everything else. Just these simple, non-miraculous, non-glorious, virtually impossible things to do and be. That's what love is. Love is salvation to us through him who is exactly all of those things. It's not some trite notion. <laughs> Donnie was singing the Burt Bacharach, what the world needs now is love. Come on, sing it with me, sweet love. Yeah. It just reduces it to a Hallmark card. And, and, and I think part of it is because it just takes on this tone, this taste, this flavor. I mean, let's take the prophetic church. Now, I, I actually, um, this is the graphic for the conference, right? The prophetic church. And, and actually, it's, like, it sounds kind of powerful. To, ooh, the prophetic church. Like, it's mysterious and sort of, and actually, me and, me and Alan Frau came up with that name. I can make fun of it because, you know, he and I came up with it. But it's like, ooh, what is that? The prophetic church, that's, it's, it's mysterious. Like, it's powerful. What happens at that conference with the prophetic church? <laughs> it's pretty spiritual. It's the theme for all of our conferences. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. I love it. I love the prophetic. And, and, and the truth is, if we pitched it this way, the loving church, you'd be like, oh, okay, what else you got? Like, it just doesn't, there's no sizzle in that one, is there? You're like, okay, I'll go next year when they're back to prophetic or miraculous or glorious or, it just doesn't quite sell the same way. But actually, according to 1 Corinthians 13, it's not, it's not milk toast. It's not powerful and mysterious. I mean, again, it sounds like a, a Hallmark conference, but actually, this is the kind of thing that isn't embroidered on a pillow. This is actually the power of Jesus embodied in every single one of us. And maybe it doesn't look good over that post-apocalyptic city, you know, that, and again, Ryan Marshall, wonderful job on the graphic. You'd think this sermon is about Ryan Marshall, but <laughs> I just love him. But again, it, it's one of those things where we just have to come to grips with what power really is, what power really looks like. And here's the thing, like, the world is in such great need of the kind of love that we have to offer. 
as people have become, honestly, you know this, pitted against each other in politics, religion, race, public health, climate, sexual ethics, whatever else you want to throw in there, we can transcend those things with love. What an amazing opportunity we have not to power play it or to win arguments on the basis of the things that we believe, because let me just tell you what this is. I've got principles and and I'm entitled to some things and I've got rights. And man, what an opportunity not to join the chorus of social media jabs and rants and ill will and bickering to just blow up the whole thing with love. What a great opportunity to be patient and kind, not to be envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. If we can do these things, these things, here it is. I like to just keep it simple. Oh no, except that I've just lost my, I knew if this got too high tech. There we go. I, I, this, to me, it's simple. This is love. That's the love column. That's the not love column. So what I've actually done is I've pulled some of your social media posts. I just want to throw up a few of them. And I just want to measure them. Okay, I haven't. I'm not really on social media. But, but like, is what we do and say and are to other people, like, which list does it typically fall under? We just got to take that measure because if we're so moved and motivated for love, well, then we'll just do these very basic measures and it's not, it's not complex, but it is hard. And so I think the question becomes, how do we love? How do we love so completely and unreservedly and thoroughly in a way that lets people know who we are and provides a living message for a watching world? Like, what, what does that look like? What does that look like? How do we teach our churches that? How do we encourage that? How do we cultivate that? A lot of you know who this guy is. Yeah, it's a a lot of love for Ted Lasso. Now, if you haven't seen the show, he's just this counterculturally kind coach of a professional sports team who's just supposed to be a massive jerk. That's what you would expect for somebody like in that role. But actually, he's completely countercultural. And the world has just embraced him. Why? I don't know if you can see the slogan of the show there, but it says, kindness is making a comeback. I was like, dang, I used to be in film. I'm like, why didn't I come up with that tagline? <laughs> kindness is making a comeback. What a silly idea. Like, where did it go? It left. We know that. And I mean, you don't have to look far to see a lot of headlines like this. Thank God for Ted Lasso the man America needs right now. And and like, I get it. Why? Why? Because he's kind. Like, he's just loving. If you've watched the show, like, people just mess with this guy. They do terrible things to this guy. His wife divorces him, and people are out for him, and there are journalists who are constantly undermining him and making him look like an idiot. And all he does is he just keeps being kind. (laughs) And who knew that would be such an anomaly in the world today? Because here's another headline that I came across. (laughs) This is in CNN. 
How true is that? And, and so we, we just, when we follow in, in kind to that, when we follow suit, we just slot ourselves right into what the rest of the world is doing. And yet when we counter all of these things, like this cultural phenomenon of Ted Lasso, like the world, what the world needs now is Ted Lasso. I mean, what's crazy is what the world needs now is not like a dorky soccer coach. It, it needs Jesus. And what the world needs now really is Jesus. We all know that. What the world needs now is us as the presence of kindness, of loving kindness in the world. And I have struggled at times to identify where my Christian brothers and sisters are because I'm just <laughs> missing out on the kindness. Yeah. I, I want to be able to easily go, there they are. And I'm like, where are they? No, 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 we just, we just need to be kind. It needs to make a comeback <laughs> because we actually don't really have much else to offer the world, but we have the only thing that it really, really needs. It's not anger, but it's, it's kindness. And where do we find that kindness? I want to land with this, and it's a quote out of this incredible book. I don't know if you've read it, Gentle and Lonely. It's kind of making its rounds. And he says, only as we walk ever deeper into his, Jesus' tender kindness, can we live the Christian faith as the New Testament calls us to. Only as we drink down the kindness of the heart of Christ, not Ted Lasso, will we leave in our wake, everywhere we go, the aroma of heaven and die one day having startled the world with glimpses of a divine kindness too great to be boxed in by what we deserve. It just, it just gets me. A divine kindness too great to be boxed in by what we deserve. And it seems to compete with the rights and entitlements that we're often putting out there and people are meeting rather than this kindness Oh man, I'm grateful Jesus didn't see it that way. He was entitled to everything and got nothing. His rights were immeasurable and he gave them all up for our sake. That kind of love is what dwells on the inside of us by his spirit. But we needed to come out. And that's just what I wanted to, in this little short talk, encourage us not only to do and be, but just to turn around and encourage our churches to do the same. It is all we got, but it's everything. And I don't know if you've been to the many wonderful charismatic conferences and services where you come up to the front to receive the Holy Spirit and the miraculous power that he offers, but I want to do something a little different. I want to come up to the front and just ask Jesus to fill us anew with his love, <laughs> because the prophetic powers and the speaking in tongues, which are often the aim of those moments, and it's fine, actually is nothing compared to the love of Jesus that is poured out in us as we wait for him and trust that he will fill us with his loving kindness. Can we do that? Actually, we're just going to end with a, a song that Ryan's going to play, and I would just say, this is not, if you're like the pastor, you don't have to be the one to pray for the congregation. Or if you're like the elder, you can still be prayed for by somebody else who just, you know, puts the muffins out on, Saturday, on Sunday morning. 
the, the, the playing field is level. And I would just love to have anybody who just says, I need more love. I need more love and, and kindness for my kids. I need more loving kindness for my wife, for my coworker, for the people in my church, for my neighbor. Like, this is what I need to be filled with afresh right now, is just this love that will help me distinguish myself in all of the best of ways as a witness of Jesus Christ.